So this morning we're going to look at three lessons out of chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5 uh, that are being taught about living out this life under the sun. And we're in Ecclesiastes uh, throughout this series. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to begin in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through to 8. It says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now remember in part one I mentioned that uh, the phrase under heaven is synonymous with the phrase under the sun. And it's talking about everything on earth, everyone on earth, all of creation. And so it's saying to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose. You keeping up here? A time to keep and a time to throw away. That's for all you hoarders out there. A time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, that's for, I won't say that, Um, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. So your first point this morning, we're getting straight into it, if you're taking notes, is understand there are seasons in life. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. So from verses uh, 2 through to 8, Solomon lists 28 28 seasons, 28 times uh, in our lives that we might go through. Times and seasons that many of us are able to relate with, uh, whether we liked it or not. For example, a time to be born. Uh, I think that one got chosen for you uh, by God. But thank God that we all had that time because I'm sure you're all a huge blessing and a joy to some of the people in your life. Why are you laughing? I'm sure you are. Uh, A time to die, that one's not as nice as a time to be born, uh, but probably one of the uh, most, well, probably the only certainty that we can all guarantee in this life uh, that death is going to come. Between now and the day we die, we've got no guarantees on what life is going to look like, what our health is going to look like, what our circumstances is going to look like. Uh, But there is a time uh, to die, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. And then he just lists all these other seasons and times uh, that we go through in our life. But there are 14 positive seasons, in case you never saw them. Uh, If you're one of those people who look at all the bad things listed on that list, uh, there are 14 positive seasons uh, listed there, those seasons that we love, and they are contrasted with 14 negative seasons, those tough seasons Uh, that some people on earth really struggle with, Uh, to the point that that those tough seasons has the potential to break a person's spirit. And so as we continue through Ecclesiastes, uh, the writer begins to show us that even though there are these difficult seasons in life, every season under the sun is an opportunity. Everyone say, every season under the sun is an opportunity. And get this, it will impact us positively or negatively based on our perspective of that season. Ephesians 5 verse 15 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And as we look around the world today, it's pretty hard to see that that's getting any better. So understanding the season that we're in, and also understanding that it is just a season, it is temporary, it's not going to last forever, can help us make the most of every opportunity. You know, in the coming chapters in Ecclesiastes, Solomon suggests that, the, that it's only when the oppressed come into the house of God that they gain a right perspective of life. Isn't that cool? It's when the oppressed come into the house of God that we gain a right perspective of life. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard things are, the best place for you to be is in the house of God. Better is one day in his courts, it says in Psalms 84, than a thousand elsewhere. And so I want to offer you four questions, recapping Four questions that Abraham gave us towards the end of last Sunday. So if you didn't get these down last week, uh, get them down now or let us know so we can email them through to you. Uh, Four questions to ask yourself whatever season you're facing. Question number one, what can I learn from this season? If every season, if every trial, if every good thing that's happening to us is an opportunity, then there is a lesson to be learned in it. What can I learn from this season? Question number two, what good can I do in this season? What good can I do in this season? No matter how bad our season is, the reality is we can still do good to others which helps us to often lift our eyes off what's going on and be a blessing to others. What good can I do in this season? Question number three, how can I enjoy, how can I enjoy, how can I enjoy in this season? Does that make sense? How can I enjoy this season? How can I enjoy this season? That no matter how hard things are, how can we shift our perspective so that we're looking for the things of God that bring joy to us? How can I enjoy this season? And in question number four, how can I trust God in this season? How can I trust God in this season? So from chapter 3, we understand that there are seasons in life. Our second point this morning is another great way to help you through uh, any season in life. And that's to build godly relationships into your life. Build godly relationships into your life. You know, I intentionally use the, the words into your life this morning because building these sorts of relationships requires people to contribute to a relationship. Building these kind of relationships might cost you a little bit of energy to invest into those relationships. It might cost you a little bit of time 
to sit down and invest uh, into those relationships. You know, Ephesians 4, verse 9 to 12, we read, uh, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so right throughout these verses uh, here, it's obvious the, the benefits of relationship is obvious to see. And in verse 12, it illustrates the importance of companionship through this image of a threefold cord. You know, the act of sharing your life and relationship brings relief to the very real and the seldom talked about problem in society of isolation and loneliness. Our society is riddled with it. You know, whatever feat an individual can achieve on their own, are far greater are the achievements uh, by a team that is dedicated, united, and working together towards a common goal. Makes sense, doesn't it? So good godly relationships offer uh, some incredible benefits. And here are four for you to write down as they relate to these four verses. The first benefit of godly relationship is greater fruit. Verse 9 says, two are better than one because they, are, because they have a good reward for their labor. You know, this past Wednesday that's just gone, uh, Abraham, Kyle, Mike Solomon, uh, and myself headed down to Onipoto Primary School to fix uh, 43, 40, 43 bikes that had been donated to the school and have been sitting there unused. Uh, so they've got uh, things that need to be done to them. They need to be checked. Uh, so, we, you know, we had the guys riding around the car park on the bikes to make sure they were working. And uh, we went there, and for one person, it was too big a job for one person to think about. So it didn't get done for months. And so there was four of us in there uh, for two and a half hours, and we managed uh, to sort them and fix ten bikes in two and a half hours. And they were the easy ones. So we haven't even got to the broken bikes yet or to replacing uh, bits and pieces. For one person, that would have taken 10 hours to try and do. You know, individuals working in a team, individuals working together, spend and expend far less effort and time to achieve the same result. Which also means that for the same amount of time and labor, you're more productive and you're more fruitful as a team than you will ever be as an individual. So good relationships produce greater fruit. And good godly relationships also produce fruit in your spiritual walk with God. Like sharpens iron, like iron sharpens iron. 
and it produces fruit in a greater way than if you're out on your own. The second benefit is assistance. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Who knows that sooner or later we're all going to need assistance. Either practically, physically, financially, spiritually. At one point, at some point in our lives, we're all going to need assistance. That's just to name a few, emotionally, mentally. And in your times of need, uh, with uh, godly relationships around you, you'll have those there to pick you up and to keep walking with you. And who knows how important those kinds of people are in life. The third benefit of these relationships is comfort. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You know, the world can seem like a pretty cold place sometimes. And often it's when we're in isolation that we can begin to meditate on worst case scenarios. Who knows that feeling? Often it's when we're in isolation that we begin to conjure up what we think and how we think things are going to happen. But with godly relationships around us, we have people who can speak truth into our life. People who can speak sometimes common sense into our lives. And you know, the verse here is not telling us to all go lie down together with our mates. Uh, but what I do believe that it's telling us to do is to be together and to be there for one another. Godly relationships offer comfort just by being present. Those people who come and don't even have to say anything, they just have to sit with you. And then the fourth benefit is security. From verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And the world can be a dangerous place in the natural. And in the spiritual, being isolated is a very dangerous place. And so there is security in numbers. There is security in people being able to pray for you. There is security in being able to reach out to those friends who know what's going on in your life. And you know, there's nothing wrong uh, with being by yourself or being uh, independent. But I do believe it's important for us to know that men and women weren't meant to be alone and isolated. Humans were never meant to be alone and isolated. It's why God created Eve for Adam. He saw Adam and said, this is not good, that he is alone. Human beings need others to share their life with in community. God created us for community. 
God exists in eternity for community as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he created us to have fellowship with him and with one another. So I encourage you uh, this morning to start building solid, lasting friendships with one or two others if you haven't done so already. And our final point this morning is fear God. That one's a little bit different to the other two. You know, some translations replace the same word used for fear uh, with the word reverence. And so let's walk through this passage and uh, see what we can discover from it as it leads us to this instruction to fear God. So it runs from uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through to 7. And uh, verse 1 says, Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. So the phrase walk prudently is said to literally mean guard your feet. Speaking of how we enter the house of God. So I believe that's saying to us to guard our feet so that we're always walking with the right motives to guard our feet so that we're always walking with the right intentions, that we walk into the house of God for no other reason but to draw near to Him, that we walk into the house of God for no other reason but to hear Him speak to us, that as we give Him praise, because it's never about us on a Sunday morning, as we give Him praise, as we glorify His name, as we uh, exalt Him on high, that He would move and speak and minister to us so we might hear Him. Amen? Walk prudently when you go into the house of God. The sacrifice of fools is a reference to sacrifices that are made for the wrong reasons. These are sacrifices that aren't made in obedience to God, but sacrifices that are made for some other desire to elevate ourselves, to try and entice to try and entice uh, some sort of personal or material favor from the hand of God through our works and through our sacrifice. The sacrifice of fools is one that comes and gives to God and says, God, I gave you this. You owe me that. It's quite a strong warning in Ecclesiastes 5. The writer goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, to watch hasty speech towards God. In verses 4 and 5, to be careful about the empty promises you make to God. That's, That's almost like a sacrifice of fool in reverse. It's like the sacrifice of fool to give that God will do something for you. Empty promises to say to God, God, you do this and then I'll do that for you. And then not following through. Empty promises to say, yes, God, I hear you calling me and then to disobey and not go. And then in verses six and seven, about making excuses to God. 
And then these verses all lead to the end of seven, which says, but fear God. You know, in Ecclesiastes and in the other books uh, of wisdom, the other wisdom books like Job, uh, Proverbs, and Psalms, we see that to fear God means to respond to God in a right and correct manner. To fear God is to respond to God in a right and correct manner. To fear God in these passages doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It doesn't mean to be scared of Him. It means to have reverence, to have awe, to have wonder in response to God, in response to His glory. When's the last time you just looked at something God has done and you just went, When's the last time you had that awe of God? And then you went, actually, that's pretty powerful. You know, so often we try and diminish the fear of God to our earthly understanding. And we try and relate it to what it means to fear people or to fear circumstances. But in life under the sun, the fear that we ever experience here is only ever temporary. The fear of God is eternal. That awe for, what, for who God is, is eternal. Reverence, awe, wonder. A response that is highlighted in verse 2 where uh, we're reminded that God is in heaven and we are on earth. <clears throat> Who needs that reminder every now and then? We try and bargain with God as if He's on the same level as us. Solomon says, hang on a minute. God's in heaven. You're on earth. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So fearing God is responding to God in a way that understands that God, He's love. God, He's grace. But God is also jealous for your undivided devotion and worship. It's understanding that God is merciful, but God is just in judgment. It's understanding that in His imminence, God is with us, that God is moving around us, but in His transcendence, God is so much bigger. He is outside of all creation. He is outside of this world. He, he existed before it all began. Fearing God, understanding that He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. And in response to His glory, we give honor, we give praise, we give obedience, we give reverence, because He is the great I Am, and we are nothing without Him. And so we read in Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
God is in heaven and we are on earth. And so just in recapping this morning, identify, identify the season you're in and ask yourself these four questions. What can I learn from this season? What good can I do for others in this season? What can I enjoy in this season? And how can I trust God in this season? Build godly relationships into your life where you'll find greater fruit, where you'll find assistance, where you'll find comfort, and where you'll find security. And out of fear of God, learn to respond to God with reverence. Learn to come before Him with awe, to come before Him with wonder, and to come before Him in obedience. Amen. Hey, let's stand this morning as uh, we pray and close. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are, Lord, that you are omnipresent, always with us, everywhere with us. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that through whatever season we're going through, you're here, you're there, you're everywhere. However hard, however bad it might be, we thank you, God, that you're with us. Father, I just pray, Lord, for every person in this place, Father, that for every member of Shore Elam Church, those who aren't with us, Lord, we just pray, Father, for uh, the relationships that we have with one another, that they will grow. Father God, with, for our relationships with you, that we'll bring increase to them. Lord, that we might be able to walk and hold each other up, encourage each other, spur each other on. Father, and celebrate each other as we grow together. And God, I pray that you will continually allow your Holy Spirit to just challenge us. Father God, to be in awe of who you are, to come in reverence to you, the great I am. to in worship serve you for the right reasons because we're called. And to be obedient, Father, to your calling and your purpose for our life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.